When you put yourself out there and do something right, and it's not appreciated by others. And so they were doing the mission. They were doing what, what Jesus had sent them out to do. They were preaching about him. And yet there was opposition. And uh, it's kind of scary here because uh, they basically, it says the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. And they made this accusation. And then the crowd joined in the attack. And things just got more and more intense. And they ended up being in stocks in the prison. Well, let's just read a little further. Let's go on to verse 25. Go to the next couple of scriptures. Yeah, next one. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Let's pick this up in verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now you have to appreciate uh, Paul and Silas at this moment. Because in the face of all of this, what do they do? They're in chains, they're in the center of the prison, and they simply decide, let's have a devotional together. Let's just encourage each other with song. And so they began to pray, and they began to praise. And they were just really showing their hearts. You can imagine how strange it must have looked to the other prisoners. Here these guys have been beaten, they've been mistreated, they've been put in the, in the center of the prison, and probably a lot of other people in the prison were there for genuine crimes. They've been, they've been caught stealing, or there had been a rape, or there had been something, some violation of somebody's rights. But who else was in there because they'd driven out a demon? Who else was in there because they were preaching the gospel about Jesus Christ? And so there they were, having done the right thing, suffering, and yet they weren't saying to God, you know, you know, we're not going to pray tonight because of what you let happen to us. Can't believe it. Here we've been working so hard. I mean, how much do we have to put up with? They weren't approaching it that way at all. They looked at the circumstance and simply asked the simple question, what would Jesus do? What should we do? And I don't know who suggested it, or maybe they just came on it together, but Paul and Silas began to sing, and they began to pray. And then something amazing happened. There was an earthquake, and all the prisoners' chains fell off, and all the doors opened. Now, the, uh, the warden of the prison, he was, he was pretty shaken up by this. Uh, often the jailers were retired soldiers. But if you're in charge of a prisoner and you lose the prisoner... You, you actually become responsible for that punishment. And so he's thinking to himself, better to kill myself than to receive the punishment I'll receive once all these prisoners go away. So Paul yells out, don't harm yourself. It's so great. He's, just, he's constantly just thinking about what is good for the other people around him. And how can I please God? What can I do? I want us to go to a next, next picture. I'm going to tell another little story. This, this one's interesting. Um, Chris and Kim Reed came with Tammy and myself when we planted the church in Stockholm in 1986. And uh, uh, he, he's a, a great friend and brother. That's from a current picture. That's not how he looked 20-something years ago. Okay. 
Uh, he's a couple years younger than I am uh, in real life. But, um, you know, what's interesting is uh, they'd come on the Stockholm mission planting and they also had the dream about going to Russia. And we went in 1990, uh, uh, just at the end of 1990, over to L.A. to gather a team together. And Chris heard about that. But Chris had actually, in 1990, with his wife Kim, planted a church in Copenhagen. And so that church was now about six, seven months old when the news about Moscow came. And uh, Chris was really, he was pretty ripped up about it. Because he really had it in his heart to come with us, he and Kim. So uh, it had been announced November 1990 we were going. And, uh, you know, Chris talked to me, he said, boy, I'm, I'm disappointed. But he made, he made a decision. And I love it when people pray specifically. And then God does something specific in answer. You know, speaking of specific prayer, uh, Tammy and I were in Istanbul last Sunday. And we were meeting with leaders of our churches in, from the Middle East, from uh, Eurasia, and from uh, Europe. And it just so happened that we had about eight, nine people from the Ukraine and eight or nine people from Russia. And we all knew we were going to be together, so guess what we did? We came together and prayed for an hour and a half. And what we prayed for last Saturday, for an hour and a half, was peace between Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, there, you, you can't help it a little bit. When your two nations are, are struggling with each other, it's hard for the church. Because in, in all the nations, usually you have some people in some way affiliated with armed forces, with, you know, with the government. You, you have these connections, or maybe you have relatives who, who are involved. It gets personal, doesn't it? And so it was really good just for that affirmation to be there from the Russians and the Ukrainians. We love each other. It doesn't matter what's going on between our countries. We're going to stay unified. But most of all, we are praying for peace. I, there was, I think in the room, there's probably 24 people. Uh, everyone prayed for peace. We pray for a lot of things, but peace came up in every prayer. And you can imagine how we felt on Thursday when the meetings in Minsk, Belarus ended. And Putin was the one that came out of the meeting and announced there's going to be a ceasefire. And it started today. And uh, it's holding, they're, they're saying, it's almost holding, okay? Uh, that's what the news, newspapers are reporting today, that it has begun, and there's a few little problems, but in general, the, the ceasefire is taking effect. Do we really believe in prayer? Do we really believe that God answers us? Because we're going to hear a story, what Chris decided, and you can't get a whole lot more specific than this, I'm going to pray, God, let me meet a Russian here in Copenhagen that can become a Christian and then go on the mission team with Andy to Moscow and be his helper. Those three details specifically. It challenges me to think about that because it takes faith. When you ask a prayer like that, then you've got to go and you've got to seek for the door and then you've got to knock. It's one thing to ask, but, but you need to go and do something. And I appreciate Chris's prayer. Because he said, God, let me meet somebody. It wasn't, God, may a Russian somewhere, somewhere around the world be converted and, you know, end up on the mission team. He said, I want to be involved. I want to participate in this. And so, uh, you know, it was after that Chris realized there's not many Russians in Copenhagen. <laughs> you know, just as a little background, the Soviet Union had still not broken up. Leaving the Soviet Union was difficult. So uh, Chris, you know, he kept that prayer in mind, and he was, he was 
you know, to himself praying. He didn't share this goal with anybody else. He was just out there himself. But um, what's interesting, he started looking for Russians, couldn't find one. But in January of 91, so this is about six weeks after the announcement, Chris was out sharing his faith out on the, uh, in a rail station. And uh, it's January in Copenhagen, so it's not particularly warm. He was out there for two hours with absolutely no positive responses. Now, some people would get discouraged, but, but Chris has this kind of faith, a lot like Barnabas and Silas. Chris is looking around and goes, well, it's cold, it is time for me to go, but I'm not going to leave here discouraged. I'm going to look around on this train platform and find the most intimidating person, and that's going to be my last invitation. Well, it didn't take him long to find him, because about 30 feet away with his back to him was a six foot five man. And Chris thought to himself, Chris is about 5'11". Chris is like, that's the guy. I'm going to go talk to him. So Chris goes up and he you know, taps him on the shoulder. The man turns around. And uh, Chris, you know, he goes, Chris goes, you know, my name's Chris and I'm from the United States. He explained a little bit of himself and he started talking. He said, what's your name? And then the man says, my name is Misha. And Chris is looking at him like this. And Chris says, where do you come from? Moscow. And Chris is just like, really? I mean, like, Chris is really, he's pretty excitable. I mean, in a wonderful kind of way. I think he has preached for us once, uh, yeah, back at uh, Camp Hill. So, you know, you've, you've seen Chris. He's energetic. And Chris is just like, wow, I mean, this poor Russian guy, though, he doesn't know what's going on. Why is this American so excited about meeting me? You know, and, and, you know, Chris is almost ready to hug him. He's like, you know, he, he's just filled with all these emotions. And he's so excited about this whole moment. And, and, and you know, Misha's kind of looking down at him like, you know, what, what's this guy about? And Misha's a little more laid back. So he's, he's just kind of going with it. But then uh, Chris said, you know, here's an invitation. I do a, a home group study at my, my house. I'd love for you to come. You know, it will be great. And Misha's like kind of nodding but not saying too much. And Misha took the invitation. Misha's train came. Misha just took a step backwards right into the train. The doors closed. And as they were just closing, Chris realized he hadn't asked Misha for a phone number or any contact details. And the train pulled away with the big Russian looking down at this little American guy who's like, you know, all, you can get, like, you know, he could tell that there was something he didn't ask him. And so, you know, that, that, the story was pretty sad. That night, Chris called everyone he could think of, including us. We were living in L.A. at the time. And he goes, I've been praying for, for praying. He told us the story. I've been praying to meet a Russian that could come with you on the Moscow mission team. That could be your helper. And I think I met him today. Great, what's his name? His name's Misha. Great, we'll pray for him. I said, so what's next? He goes, well, that's the problem. Uh, I met him and he disappeared. And I don't have his number. You've got to pray that he will come. And so all around the world, people were praying for Misha, the Russian from Moscow. Everyone is praying for him. And, uh, you know, it was kind of funny. We, 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 we heard this in L.A. And, you know, Chris is excitable. So we, we, when we heard that, we kind of, we could just picture it perfectly. He got so excited, he was like, oh, forgot to ask this important question. Okay, so let's read a little further. Let's see what happens with the, with the uh, Paul and Silas and the jailer. We'll go back here to verse 29. 
It says, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You know, the jailer came to faith. I, I, I just wish there was more details in this, don't you? Don't you wish you could have known? So, so how did Paul approach this? We have two longer sermons of Paul in the book of Acts when he was addressing Gentiles. One's in Acts 14, one's in Acts 17. And in both of those, he talks to them about sort of looking at the world around them and seeing how nature just continues in its cycle. And don't you see that God is there behind it all? And you think about also, he said in Acts 17, he set the times and the places. You know, I think for, for Paul, it was always the time and the place, right? He was always ready to be used by God in some kind of way. So the jailer came to faith, as did his whole household. He made the decision to be baptized. And now the church in Philippi has two households. It's got the jailer's household and Lydia's household. And the jailer's going to live because none of the prisoners escaped. I think they were pretty impressed with what was going on with Paul and Silas. But now I want to take up the story of Chris and Misha, but now from Misha's side. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay, that's Misha. You can see in color right there. Those are normal height people. There's Misha right there. Okay. You know, as Misha looked at Chris through the train window, this thought went through his mind. What was that little American talking about? What was he so excited about? He didn't really understand. He actually thought, was I being invited to a party? Will there be girls? Like, like what, what was this all about? He was so excited about meeting me. And it just kind of haunted him as he stood there watching Chris at the platform, you know, disappear into the distance. He got home, he put the invitation up on the mirror by the door. And, as my, and he, he, he said to himself, you know, don't forget about, don't forget this, but, but he actually saw the invitation every day. And he, could, he just thought every day of this little American. Well, he didn't have time to go the next week, but the next, then it goes, it rolls around two weeks and he thinks, I'm going to try it. But let me just give you a little background about Misha. Misha was 20 years old and the son of two Soviet athletes. If you look in the bottom right-hand corner, it says men's pair, uh, Coxway and Rowing, Tokyo 1964 Summer Olympics. The honorable mentioned fourth place in the World Olympics in the middle name of the group four is Leonid Rakovshik. That's Misha's dad. Misha's dad was an Olympic rower. His mother was also a rower, but they didn't have women's rowing. She missed, they only went into women's Olympic rowing after this. But she'd, she has won for all of uh, Europe as well in her time, okay? So this is who Misha is. He's son of these two, two, um, two Olympic athletes. Um, in 1990, Misha won a prestigious scholarship to the University of Copenhagen and was able to leave the Soviet Union at a time when nobody could get out of the Soviet Union. It was very difficult, especially for a young person like him. He'd never come back, typically. So at 20 years old... He's now uh, out of his country. 
But at the same time, Misha was going through some real soul searching. Over the New Year's holiday, his girlfriend from Moscow had come to visit him, and he was just thinking, everything's awesome. He was getting about $2,000 a month, accommodation, living there, working on a paper that was going to be published in the European Journal of Physics. You know, he's 20 years old. His life's all great. But the whole time his girlfriend was with him, it, it just went terrible. And he's just like, I don't get it. And he started really asking questions. And he was becoming aware that something was missing in his life. At age 19, he'd already was uh, dealing with liver problems from how much alcohol he was drinking. How much vodka. 19 years old already, having problems. Misha, to this day, can't stand the smell of a lime. The smell of a lime, and he already feels a little ill from from all the lime-flavored vodka he he had had. So... I asked Misha one time, and you already know, of course, Misha's going to make it, right? But I already asked Misha one time, so what did you think? What was your spiritual journey when you were a kid? And he goes, well, I only remember once thinking, a, like really a spiritual thought. He said, uh, I was 14 and my mother didn't let me smoke in the house. So I went out on the balcony, lit up a cigarette. I looked up at the stars and I thought, is there a God? Well, probably not. Put up my cigarette. He goes, I don't think I ever thought about it again. Uh, I wouldn't say he was an atheist. He didn't have enough conviction to be an atheist. He just didn't think he could know, and he wasn't really that concerned about the question. But what's funny is, here he is at 20, all of his dreams come true, but he's starting to realize life seems empty. Is this what life is about? And so Misha looked at the invitation for two weeks, suddenly he goes, okay, I'll go. Now he can't explain why he could go, but I think there was prayers of people all over the world were having a little impact there. So Misha turns up at the door of Chris's apartment, and he knocks, and some young guy came to the door, it wasn't Chris, and Misha said, I'm here for the discussion, and the young guy said, well, I'm really sorry, but it's been canceled. There's not going to be a discussion tonight. Now, what had happened was, Chris, it was a young, small church, they were having some kind of counseling problem, Chris was in the back room, all intense in this counseling thing, and Misha hadn't come the week before, so Chris wasn't... You know, he, we were still praying, but he was, he was busy. So this young disciple at the front door didn't, didn't recognize who Misha was. So Misha just said, okay, I'll come back next week. Didn't leave a number. The, bro, the brother didn't ask, and he left. But at least now he knows where Chris li- lives. So guess what? Chris got on the phone again to everybody. Of course, it's kind of humbling, isn't it? Um, can you pray again for Misha? Don't stop, okay? He actually came to my house. But I still don't have any information about him. So uh, anyways, amazingly, Misha came back. The next, the next week, Misha came back. And, uh, you know, the whole time he just kept thinking to himself, what was that little American guy so excited about? What was that? There was something in his eye... There was something in his smile. There's something in his whole attitude. It, it wasn't any information. Because at this point, he still really didn't understand what was going on. He'd read the, the uh, invitation long enough, though, to realize that, okay, there's some kind of Bible discussion, whatever that would mean. Like he just, you know, but he's going to give it a try. So Misha then uh, started studying the Bible and in less than a month was baptized. And so I just want to, sh- want to share with you, go to the next uh, clip. This is just, we have a couple little clips, and uh, 
I'm glad you can't see me very well because uh, I had a ponytail. And so uh, I, I, it's probably better, okay? But this is, this, is, this is my first meeting with Misha. And it's April 30, 91. Sorry, I, I just got that out of the way. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, that's hello in Russia. I'd like you to meet our Russian brother, Mikhail. And in Russian they call him Misha. He was converted here in Copenhagen, and he's had just a great life as a young Christian here in the church. But just in front of everyone, I'd like the people in America to hear what it sounds like to say Jesus is Lord in Russian. How do you say Jesus is Lord? Jesus Gaspadin. This is the, the thing, the, the, the sentence, the, the confession that will be going throughout all of Russia. Jesus, guess with me. And we love you. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. You know, sort of the, uh, the the revered person. So, I mean, he was studying the Bible, Danish, English, you know, what you have. But uh, uh, anyways, it, we'll go on to the next slide. Well, here's what happens. Misha comes to Russia with us on the team. And he, he had actually planned a whole summer to uh, go travel around Europe before he returned. He was on a one-year scholarship. But he gave it all up and came with us on the mission team to Moscow. And he got home to his parents, and they were upset. They are not believers. And they couldn't believe that their son, one, had become a Christian, but two, had given up this trip to Europe and come back to Russia, or the Soviet Union at that time. And, uh, of course, they're going to be really mad at us in a few weeks, because about six weeks later, the Soviet Union crumbled, and then there was no getting out. And uh, then it actually opened back up and became open like it never was before. So it was kind of interesting. But in that three days of the coup and, and the, the, the turmoil, you can believe me, Misha's parents weren't feeling a whole lot of love to Andy and Tammy. Because their son could have been in Copenhagen and missed the whole coup, okay? But uh, Misha, just he, he became my translator. And uh, he, he was just amazing. This young man, he actually went into the ministry full-time at age 20 and kept studying on the side and finished his master's degree and then his doctorate at age 25, still while serving in the ministry. But I just have to tell you, smart just didn't describe this guy, okay? So what you have is the first baptism in the Moscow church at their era. And uh, Misha was right there always translating for me. And then after seven months of translating, Misha preached his first sermon in April of 1992. So just like seven months later. Now uh, let's go to the next slide. What we're going to have here now, it's July 12, 1992. The Moscow Church began in July 14, 1991. So it's just one year. Misha was the team leader who stayed in Kiev after we planted the church there. I told you that story a few, uh, a few weeks ago. And Misha now is sharing on the theme of going into all the nations. 
You have to understand, a year and a half before this, Misha was a graduate student in Copenhagen and didn't even know for sure if there was a God. And now I just want to hear, I want you to hear his testimony. I'm not a Christian at that time. <laughs> and I did want to go to all nations, but for my own pleasure. And God had another dream for me. And that was good. I got my scholarship in physics in Copenhagen University, and I went to Denmark. There I was met by the church, invited to the service, I studied the Bible with them, and in February 24, 1991, I got baptized. And the same year I was about to plan my trip to Europe during the summertime, but God called me to make sacrifice. And I settled that I went to Mar last July so I could help to start the church in Moscow. And I got really awesome news for you today. Last July, we started in Moscow from 15 disciples. And in the first year, God blessed us with 850 baptisms. Now, now, Moscow Church of Christ is close to 1,000 in attendance every Sunday. We sent our first church planting one month ago, and for the first four weeks, we had 80 baptisms. Amen. And I'm really fired up what God is doing in Russia, because in the next two weeks, we'll start next two churches, and we'll go to Nova Siberia in Siberia, and we'll go to St. Petersburg. Amen. thankful to all of you for your support and especially for your prayer. God has done more than we could ask or imagine. But rather than than get satisfied, we're going to take it even higher because Jesus said, go to all nations. So let's get together and go to all nations. Amen. Great. Let's pray together as the worship team comes forward. Our Father and Mighty God, you have a, a story for each one of us, and we're so grateful. But Father, most of all, we're grateful that you've connected our stories to the story of Jesus Christ. And Father, he has accomplished something through his perfect life that we could never accomplish. He has given us something through his blood that we could never achieve for ourselves. And Father, we are just so grateful for the gift that you have made to us. Father, thank you for the way that you engage us with the truth. Thank you for the way you want to work together with us in this world. That, Father, you have given us purpose. You've given us mission. Father, you have given us everything we need for godliness. Father, we thank you because these are all gifts from you. You offer them out of the goodness and graciousness of your own heart. And, Father, we are thankful for what you've done. Father, I pray for those that are with us today and may be seeking. I pray, Father, that they can find you as you intended. I pray for each one of us who has found you and begun our relationship with you, Father. I pray that we can continue on in faith. I I pray that we can live each day just thinking about what would you want us to do? What would please you? 
And Father, give us insight into your will so that we can be the people that you want us to be. Father, thank you for giving us the most incredible reason uh, to follow, to love, to obey. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Because in this demonstration of love and grace, we are left with nothing to respond with except thank you. And Father, uh, just to say thank you for eternity. Father, thank you for the relationships that our common bond with your Son gives us to each other. And I pray that we can be strong as a community, that we can encourage each other, we can love each other, that we can be there for each other. Father, thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.